Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Terry. Hello, Bridget. So, you know, it's rare that you can make a blanket statement and expect pretty much everybody hearing it to agree, but it seems safe to say these are some strange times we're living in. It was disorienting enough to have much of our world suddenly shut down and to have access to everything from our workplaces to our loved ones cut off. And then after months, state by state, things started to reopen. But now we're hearing that those actions may have been premature or uncautiously implemented. How are we supposed to know what is and isn't safe when the so-called experts don't even agree? It's a lot to try to figure out. And for those of us with depression and anxiety, it can be just too darn much at times. Quoting from an article titled Supporting Employee Mental Health When Reopening the Workplace by the American Psychological Association, employees who suddenly moved to remote work as COVID-19 spread experienced a loss of control over many aspects of daily life. They coped with high levels of uncertainty about their personal, professional, and financial futures. Phasing workers back into the office may create new uncertainties about personal safety and how to adapt to new routines. The article points out that for some, returning to work will be a welcome opportunity to reconnect with coworkers and enjoy a less makeshift workspace. For others, though, leaving the work-at-home environment will increase stress and worry. That's why, as employers redesign to prioritize workers' health and safety, mental health care providers are adamantly calling attention to the need to support employees' emotional and mental well-being as well. Today's guest, Sierra Salton, a licensed therapist and consultant to Mental Health America of Wisconsin's Strong Families Healthy Homes program, joins us to discuss the return to work and to give her voice to depression. Sayer begins with a description of what she's seeing with her own clients. Um, people get comfortable in their depression um, in a weird way. It made it okay because everyone was forced into isolation. And so now the fear of readjusting and coming back shines light on, on that depression. And they are having a very difficult time trying to... Um, manage their treatment, trying to, um, a lot of people are, um, you know, working class, mothers, fathers. And so a lot of people are walking around with depression and a lot of people don't know it. And so people are having a very difficult time trying to um, think, even thinking about readjusting, emerging back into the world. So many of the people who have shared about their depression here have described that holding it together at work and then crumbling at home experience But when we haven't had to get the kids ready for school or to shower, dress, and slap on our I'm fine mask for coworkers for months, we had to, 
well, as CR put it, just sit in it. And so when the world stopped, all of that stopped, and then our mental health symptoms um, worsened. So as people readjust, what I'm finding in my work, because I was dealing with a lot of people who were suffering from depression, having such a hard time with being alone and being stuck with their thoughts, and the, the consistent that they would stay for a, a greater population of the people that I serve. And it is hard now. And, you know, they were crumbling. And now we kind of gotten used to that Um it's that feeling, trying to adapt, trying to readjust, and now the world is opening back up, and now I've gotten um, complacent. And so that's the hardest thing with um, treating um, mental health disorders when people um, begin used to feeling that way. They become very complacent with feeling that way. It is become the norm, and so we have to work effortlessly um, to help motivate them to get treatment and keep it maintained and keep it tracked. But I am seeing a lot of this is, as we thought we were excited to get out there as a population um, of us who are actually scared. Hmm. And when you say that people are afraid, what, what do you mean by that fear? So now with depression, you know, it comes with anxiety. And so with the we had to live in this fear of the pandemic alone. Mm-hmm. And so now that we can't safely say it is all gone, but um, we have others telling us, well, it's gone enough for us to, you know, come back. We have to, we have an economy we have to run on, so you do have to come back. So when that anxiety triggers already with the fear of the COVID-19, and so now that anxiety is, your anxiety is triggered even more. So, of course, it's going to affect the depression with the worries. If I'm, if am I going to catch it? Am I going to be safe? But I have I have to make a living. What do I do? So now we have this added pressure and this added anxiety to an already disorder that we had. So it becomes double, and that fear greatens. And it's understandably so. It is just a higher impact on those living with depression and anxiety. And when you said that people are becoming or have become comfortable with their depression, as somebody who has it, that's not a a word I use, but I, I think we kind of surrender to it uh, at a certain point just because there seems to be so little point in fighting if you even had the energy to fight. Is that what you mean by comfortable? I have um, people who I've treated have used that word that, you know, now that we ha- I have to be alone, that's more of a comfort zone for me. And that's where, you know, I came up with it. I was like, wow, that was kind of mind-blowing for me mm-hmm. that um, now it seems like it was okay. Or it was giving the, the forced quarantine and isolation for some that it was okay to be depressed. And so now we have to readjust that thinking and help people get out of that. And it, it is a whole different world out there for a lot of people that now they feel like, okay, it, it was, now it's okay to live with these thoughts. I'm kind of forced with it. I'm forced to be alone. I'm forced to be at home for those who didn't have family, those who didn't have a lot of social connections. Um, however, it is not, it's not always the healthiest thing for those living with depression. And so I am feeling in the dark. I'm not answering um, my phone, not letting people over. Um, and then we're sinking further and further into it. And for those people, whether that's you or someone you know, now is the time to act. Because we know depression is not something we can just shake off when we're called back to work. And anxiety is not something likely to be soothed by walking into an uncertain environment that may feel unsafe in addition to unfamiliar.
Exactly. Um, it's going to take a village. It's going to take um, that encouragement and that motivation to go help pull someone out of the darkness. Um, it is not easy for um, a lot of people. This is not something easy that you can just shake off. But now we have, um, for those who were managing it well and um, things uh, worsened, now are being forced to come back to work and deal with this, that's where we get the, the support of friends, loved ones, um, coworkers who can recognize signs and symptoms and, you know, be supportive and help bring people out because that, that, is a, that takes, um, if you can just let one person in and allow them to help, but we got to get in there. We've got to get in there if we're going to support each other. But first, we have to know what to look for. We'll link to a list of depression symptoms, but quickly, the things to look out for in ourselves and others are at least five of the following symptoms daily for two or more weeks. A depressed mood, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, impaired concentration, not sleeping or sleeping too much, Diminished interest or pleasure in almost all activities. Recurring thoughts of death or suicide. Feeling either restless and agitated or slowed down. And significant weight loss or gain. And so if anyone knows, if anyone living with this, now is the time to step up and support and encourage them um, to get back on track and let's call the doctor, get over there, call the doctor with them, um, go for a walk, start helping them um, get ready. Just do, you know, take some baby steps because it is coming. I um, mean, it could easily be shut back down, but for the world opening up, that means people have to get back to work. Recognizing that those conversations can be uncomfortable for everybody, but we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable if we're going to be there for each other. Sayer offers some great advice on how to approach the topic. So it is simply calling and saying, hey, haven't heard from you. Um, just checking in on you. I want you to know that I do care. Um, you know, things are trying to, you know, go back to normal. Is, is there anything I can help you with? I, and, you know, feel free um, to just really, I would say, just let them know that you have concerns too so you, they don't feel so um, stigmatized, like, yeah, this is this is a bit much for me, too, but um, we usually keep in contact, and I haven't seen you, so I'm just checking in to see if there's any, can I come see you? Um, do you feel like talking? And so, it, will it always, will you always get, um, you know, welcome with open arms? You won't, but the importance is, is, is to try, mm -hmm. and some people, maybe, and that's all it takes to, to hear someone say they care without being so intrusive, not, you know, going right in. Are you okay? You know, just kind of ask some questions and tell them that, you know, um, you miss them. And then from that soft, caring, non-judgmental place, we can offer suggestions on how to connect. Try to offer things to do. Like, hey, you want to get together for a walk? I could really use some exercise. I've been in this house, and I, I'm ready to get out and get some fresh air. You know, think of ideas. Just kind of get creative with engaging in them, and hopefully they will open up. And, and if you know that they're kind of living with this, you can kind of guide them into those conversations. And how are you managing it? You know, 
how do you feel about going back? And that can lead you into some, you know, some discussions where you can encourage them. I really liked what you said about I could use a walk so that the, it doesn't feel so my poor friend with depression needs to get some exercise because it is good for all of us, whether or not we're experiencing yeah. symptoms. And I love that idea of peer support, right? Because if those of us who, mm-hmm. who do have some of the same anxieties or depressions can say, wow, this was hard on me, you know, can we get together and just talk about it? Because I could use that conversation as well. And it would be beneficial to both parties, which I think would be really helpful. Exactly. Nice. So what about employers? What role do they play in our mentally healthy return to work? As um, employers, we do owe it to our staff to kind of help them come back. Let's have healthy discussions about people's concern, and that way you can identify those people who are struggling with this and really um, do need some help, but we're scared to talk to their employer. And so we have to be understanding that we were all in this together. And so um, those of us who are um, in leadership positions owe it to um, to the people that we lead to help them back into this position and uh, readjust our expectations. For anyone who may be listening, who may be working for organizations who have EAPs. Those are employee assistance programs. Um, it's time for them to step up to kind of help them readjust back in if they need someone to talk to. If they could start um, reaching out and sending out messaging through their employee emails and things like that, I think that would be helpful too. And, you know, you've mentioned stigma, which is hard not to mention when we talk about getting help for a mental illness. But I wonder if it might be easier for people if it's approached like this was really different. This was very, uh, you know, upsetting and disorienting. So if you're having any problems readjusting to whatever the heck your workspace is going to look like now, you know, we're here for you. There might be less stigma because as opposed to just us who have it now it was everybody. Right. So so maybe there's less shame. Yep, that's how it has to look. That's what I was referring to using plain language and because everyone deserves to be well. And so this can happen to anyone. We know these conditions have no discrimination. And so if we continue to stigmatize it, we're missing out on so many other people who could be suffering. I've I've met people who didn't think um, they could. You know, this could. They felt so sorry for people like I. I can't talk about you know how I feel. There are people really, really suffering when they were suffering too, because it just looked different. And so we have to we have to take that stigma off, and people have to realize that this could happen to anyone. And when we just we just live through and just went through something as huge as this, and then on top of that, you know, the world broke out in rage and those things that so we all just witnessed secondary trauma. Um, this is a lot for for those of me like clinicians and who are really are. Um, hands, feet to the ground with it, um, you know what people are suffering from and you know how the severity is and you know the people that won't speak up either. And so I just want us to kind of band together and really use some different language and engaging language and welcome help to people and that anyone, it's available to anyone and everyone deserves it. Everyone deserves it, and a lot of us need it right now because, as Sierra said, this is a lot. It's a lot of change. It's a lot of unknown. It's a lot of 
just a lot of a lot. It is a lot of a lot. That's a really good way to put it. It is a lot of a lot. And I think it requires us to be particularly respectful, you know, of others and of ourselves. Everybody processes things differently, and these are very unsettled times. So I think it's um, really time for us all to like brush up on our communication skills and asking for support and reaching out. Trying to regain some sense of control, you know, maybe that means a daily routine or a specific sleep schedule or, you know, planning your outdoor time and your exercise time and making sure it happens. But I just think it's um, it's a time for us all to really tend to ourselves and those around us. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned reaching out, but we both know um, that's really, really hard when you're in it. So, you know, again, we challenge people who aren't in it to to reach in, you know, and that's what Sayer was talking about. She said, you know, call somebody and say, hey, you know, I miss you. I haven't talked to you in a while. Let's let's talk. Let's walk. And and you can make it that um, gentle and non-threatening and non-in-your-face so that the person would feel safe. And I think that, again, that was her suggestion that I really appreciated, saying, I had a hard time with this. You know, I was bored. I was lonely. I was drinking more. I was isolating, which we were supposed to be, um, you know, whatever the things were that that, um, made it a harder time for you. Uh, Whenever we are vulnerable like that, we open the door to somebody else being the same. And that could be really helpful to somebody who hasn't been able to articulate that. Absolutely. And everybody's, you know, not just us, is experiencing these really unusual, to say the least, circumstances. And we're all kind of limited in our resources right now to respond to it. Right. So, uh, I don't know, let's all slow down and be kind. Yeah, be kind. That's the bottom line. So, we will also be linking with this episode to the article we mentioned at the beginning. You're going to hear my page turn here as I look. Um, From the... American, American Psychological, Psychological Association. Association. So that'll be right there in the, the notes with this episode. So thank you, Sayer. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Sayer. Bye, Terry. I love you. Bye, Bridgie. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.